Matthew 16, the good news according to Matthew, and we're going to start at verse 13 and read through verse 20. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man himself, speaking of himself, is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, Petros, meaning rock or stone, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of death, some of your translations will say the gates of Hades or the gates of hell, will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone, yet we could insert uh, that he was the Messiah. Do you remember uh, Pan, I guess I'm pronouncing that correctly, the, the god, and I'm using that with a small lowercase g of Greek mythology, Pan was the, the god, again I'm using that with a lowercase g, the god of shepherds and sheep and life in the wild. He also liked to play the flute, hence the Pan flute. At Caesarea Philippi, where this story takes place, there was a big shrine, a big temple to Pan. In fact, you can still see it. We were there in, in uh, January. You can still see the ruins of that big shrine. Also, just behind that shrine in the wall, the rock wall of the mountain, there are little niches, dozens and dozens and dozens of little niches where people would place their, their small little statues or idols. In fact, in the days of the Old Testament, this part of the, the, the land, the, what is now northern Israel, was known as the, the, the center of Baal or Baal worship. Baal became a generic reference to idols or pagan worship. So there were these, um, there was this temple to Pan, there were these niches where people placed their idols. There was a big cave in the side of that mountain called the Gates of Hades, or the Gates of Death, the Gates of Hell. That's where pe they, people would sacrifice uh, to, to gods with a little lowercase g, sacrifice animals. And so Jesus chose this setting, this, this mecca of mythology, this uh, epicenter of paganism, this uh, hotbed of misplaced hopes to ask his disciples, who, when, you, when you're listening, and what, who do people say that I am? Of course, Peter, their, their response had to do with the Jewish community. If they had polled outside that community, as of yet, not many people knew Jesus. But then he asked them, who do... Who do you say that I, that I am? At the time, this was a small band of, uh, just a small religious band on the margins of the Jewish faith. There weren't many, they weren't even called Christians yet, but let's call them Christians. There weren't many Christians, but that was okay with the Roman government. They had all kinds of religions. There were, there were gods for this village and that village. There were gods for this vocation, that vocation, and there were lots of religions within the Roman Empire. They had conquered so many lands, disparate lands and peoples and cultures that they just would envelop whatever religion they had. But there was one catch. 
you had to worship the emperor. They had, again, conquered so many disparate lands and cultures and people that they had to have a common denominator, something to hold them together. And so they said, emperor worship will be that. So they demanded that everybody worship the emperor. But the Christians, those stubborn Christians, wouldn't do that. They said, Kyrios Christus, Jesus is, Christ is Lord. And to say he's Lord means he's not just one of others. He, they, so they wouldn't worship the emperor. That was costly to them. Some of them lost their jobs and their status, and some of them lost their lives. They just, they said it's inconsistent to say that Jesus is Lord and to worship him as one in this pantheon of Roman gods. It's still costly. It's not going to cost us our life here in this country, but, but people might look at you funny because it's, to say that Jesus is the Lord sounds so intolerant, so exclusivistic, so unlearned, so closed-minded, so narrow-minded, so small-minded. But I do believe that, um, that the early Christians were right, that if he's Lord, then he is, he is the Lord. Now, <clears throat> Jesus asked them further. The first question he asked them was, what do other people say that I, who do other people say I am? So let's spend just a moment talking about the, the other people, those who are not yet followers of Jesus, and those who, who would not say he is uh, Lord. Last October, there was a, um, a fatal shooting, you remember, at the Tree of Life Synagogue, Jewish Synagogue in Pittsburgh. I immediately contacted the, the Jewish community to say, whatever, whatever influence I have in the, in the community, know that I'm on your side, and I, I offered my condolences and my support. In the spring, there was a shooting at Christchurch, New Zealand, where 52 Muslims died in concurrent shootings. I contacted the Islamic Center to say how sorry I was and to say to them, I, you have my support, whatever, whatever I can do. I believe that, that we ought to be good neighbors to people of other faiths. I, I believe as a Christian it's important that we treat people of other faiths with love and respect. Just be good neighbors. I also believe in religious freedom. I, besides a Christian, I'm also a Baptist, and, and, and Baptists always have believed in religious freedom. We were born out of a desire for religious freedom in England when the Anglicans made it impossible to be anything other than Anglican. In Virginia, there's lots of stories where I was for so long, lots of stories of Baptist preachers preaching from jail cells because the Anglicans demanded that you buy a license to preach, and the Baptists were too cheap to buy a license, and so they wouldn't buy a license, and they would rather preach from cells. So I believe that religion should not be prohibited. I also believe it should not be coerced. So I, I'm, if, if there's ever a threat to our Muslim friends, for example, if there's ever a threat to their freedom or to their safety, then I'm going I'm to stand for their freedom and their safety. At the same time, I believe that, that Jesus is the Savior of the world, and I wish everybody loved and followed him. One of the most interesting weddings I've ever done was in Richmond. It was Andy and Jennifer. Andy was a medical student. In the, among the guests that day, there were several Buddhists in the wedding party. And if I remember right, there were four ladies and four men who uh, were the attendants to the wedding party. And one of the, the attendants was a, a Jewish young lady. One of the attendants was a, a Muslim young man. So here's a Christian couple who have among their guests a number of Buddhists who have a Jewish young lady and a Muslim young man among their closest circle of friends. And that was a beautiful thing. And at the ceremony, they chose to celebrate communion, which, which is not uncommon. 
And Jennifer said at the rehearsal, she said, we want to give clear testimony to our Christian faith. I believe it's beautiful that they were such good neighbors too, that they had such good friends among people of other faith communities. I also think it's a, a beautiful thing that they wanted to give clear testimony to their Christian faith. After all, the, the world of the Bible was a world of multiple religions, and yet the Bible says things like, he who has the Son, S-O-N, Jesus has life, and he who does not, does not have life. And, and there's one God and one mediator between God and man, the man God Jesus and Jesus said I'm the way and the truth and the life and and he who said uh, who asked what are other people saying about me also said later go to all the world and make disciples of them and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit if God has provided another means to himself then that's his business it's not mine I'm not in charge of that but I I believe Jesus is the Savior of the world and I wish everyone knew and followed him. I was part in Richmond of a Muslim Christian dialogue. For about three years, we met one Saturday a month. And we were people who took our faith seriously. We didn't just sit around and hum and sing kumbaya and hold hands and say it doesn't really matter what you believe. We had loving but candid discussions. And I remember one Saturday saying to Imad, my Muslim friend, Imad, I can't love you and love Jesus and not wish that you knew him as I know him. He said, oh, but I know Jesus. And granted, Esau is in the Quran, the scripture of, of the Muslims. And, and I said, but, but Imad, you don't know him like I know him. And then we were in Jerusalem in January, and our guide on our bus was Hannah, wonderful lady, a, a lady just a little older than I, but much more agile than I am, and a lot smarter than I am. And we all loved Hannah. And when she told the stories of Jesus, she told the stories with passion, and she told them accurately, and uh, she told them, uh, she knew them backwards and forwards. And so I asked her one day on the bus between sites, I asked her, what is your faith? Because I thought maybe she was a Christian. She said, I'm, I'm Jewish. And, and then she added, I want to be the kind of Jew that Jesus was, which is an interesting idea. And I had this deep sense that I should talk to Hannah about her faith and mine, but I was hesitant, and I hope you understand what I'm going to say. There are lots of Christians who go to the Holy Land, and I'm sure Hannah has led several tours. And I was a little afraid that Hannah had been accosted by some overly zealous Christians, so those who were you know, a little too eager and to go back and say, we converted one of those Jews. And I, so I, I didn't want to be offensive, but I had this deep sense that that I should speak to her about her faith and my faith. And so the last night, we were, we were in the hotel lobby. We were going to leave early the next morning. We were, everybody was hugging and nearly crying because everybody loved Hannah. Then when everybody had left except the two of us, we sat down on a bench in the lobby, and I said, um, Hannah, there's something I want to say. I'm not sure how to say it. Just say it, she said kindly and gently. I said, Hannah, I wish you knew Jesus like I know Jesus. Hannah reached out and grabbed me and hugged me. And when she released me and I looked into her eyes, she had tears in her eyes. And she said, thank you for caring enough about me uh, to say that. Now, I wish I could tell you that Hannah came to faith in Jesus that night. She didn't. It, it didn't go any farther than that conversation as far as I know. My point is that 
we ought to have friends of other faiths, and we ought to be good neighbors, and we should do our part to ensure their religious liberty. But I believe Jesus is the Savior of the world, and I wish everybody knew him and loved him. Who do other people say I am? Jesus, uh, Jesus asked his friends. But more importantly, Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? In fact, the, the first question was just kind of like the warm-up. And then, he, then he, he became much more personal and pointed, and he said, so who do you say that I am? We, so on our trip to, to Israel, we went to Caesarea Philippi. We also went to Jerusalem. And uh, we went to the old city of Jerusalem, the old walled city. Now, there aren't many places in Jerusalem where you can walk exactly where Jesus walked. Jerusalem has been fought over and built on top of multiple times since Jesus' day. And so most of the time, if you're going to walk where Jesus walked, you have to go to some excavated sites. And one of those sites is the Antonia Fortress, the Fortress of Antonia, which was the garrison, the the little fort, if you will, in Jerusalem where the Roman soldiers would stay when they were stationed in Jerusalem. And so just like today, if a VIP, if a political VIP were to travel to Afghanistan, uh, he or she would stay in a place that was protected by our soldiers. That's where Pilate stayed when he came on that, that year to Passover to oversee things, make sure these J Jewish folks didn't get out of hand. When he came to Jerusalem, he would have stayed there. And one of the places you can go in Jerusalem, you go down some steps underneath the streets of old Jerusalem to the, to the Antonia Fortress. And there are benches there where we sat and read this scripture, and, or scripture I'm about to tell you, and we sang. And, and so it was there that Jesus, right near where we were seated, came after he was arrested in Gethsemane. Eventually, he was brought there to the, to the Antonia Fortress to stand trial before Pilate. Pilate, you remember, interrogated him and found, the Bible says, no fault in him. And so then, as was customary on that holiday, he, he offered to them, and many of you know the story, which one of these do you want me to release on this holiday? Is it the thief Barabbas, or is it Jesus, and you remember they said, give us Barabbas, right there near where we were seated. Pilate was bumfuzzled. He had to have been. What is it with these people? So then he asked, exasperated, what then shall I do with this Jesus who is called the Christ? I believe that the center question of all history, what then will I do with Jesus? And, and he must have been more fully exasperated when they said, crucify him. And so he threw up his hands, and then you remember he washed his hands. He called for a bowl, and symbolically in front of the people, he, he washed his hands to say, this is not my fault. You can't pin this on me. I, I am innocent of this. But Pilate couldn't, Pilate couldn't wash his hands of, of his responsibility for what would happen uh, to Jesus. And neither can we. We have choices uh, to make. We can, we can accept Jesus or reject Jesus. We can believe Jesus or dismiss Jesus. We can invite him in or write him off. We all have our choices. But one thing we cannot do is wash our hands of Jesus. He, 
he wants to know, who do you say that, who do you say that I am? I'm, uh, guys, I'm kind of old, and so all my music, all the only music I know is old music. And so th there was this group called the Lovin' Spoonful. How many of you remember the Lovin' Spoonful? I thought some of you might. 1965, they sang, did you ever have to finally, or did you ever have to make up your mind? In fact, I, I had planned on doing this, and last night, Carrie and I were in the car listening to XM 60s station, and they played the Love and Spoonful, did you ever have to make up your mind? I thought, it's a sign I need to share this tomorrow. Did you ever have to make up your mind, pick up on one and leave the other behind? It's not often easy and not often kind. Did you ever have to make up your mind? I know some of you are humming it in your heads. Did you ever have to finally decide, say yes to one and let the other one ride? There's so many changes and tears you must hide. Did you ever have to finally decide? My hunch is that there is um, there's someone for whom it's time to decide. And the early Christians were right. You can't just, Jesus can't be just one of many priorities. He can't be just one of many interests. He, he's either Kyrios Christus. He's either Lord or, or he's not. And I just have this hunch, just like I had that hunch that I should talk to Hannah. I had this hunch that somebody here watching on television or in this room, for you it's time to jump off the fence and it's time to decide. I want to close by telling you a story that I hesitate to tell because I don't want you to, to think badly of me. But years ago, went right after I graduated from college, I went to um, Venezuela as a missionary journeyman where I worked among missionaries. And while I had been in college, I, I was dating this girl named Carrie Williams. And we dated on again and off again, a lot of off again. And she, uh, she said that I had some growing up to do, which I think was ridiculous, but she, she said that. <laughs> and, um, and so we dated on again, off again. I graduated. She was a year behind me. She was staying behind in Birmingham. They had one more year at Sanford. And, and uh, so we... We began to drift apart. You know, we called a couple of times, wrote a couple of times, but then she started dating uh, this guy at Sanford, a real knucklehead of a guy. And um, so that was, uh, that was, you know, that was it. Months passed. And uh, in the fall of 1980, I had a little bitty house in a place called Mene Grande and my phone never rang, but the phone rang on a Sunday night, and it was Carrie Williams. I love telling that part of the story where she called me. <laughs> but she loves the next part of the story. It was a long conversation. We talked for a long time, and, and it was expensive in those days to call long distance. I said, we've, we've, you know, we've talked a long time. Let's hang up, and I'll call you, and it'll be on my nickel. And so in that second half, of a long conversation, uh, she loves telling this. I asked her, how long do you think before we could get married? And she said, 
I'd have to be in, in the same city with you for a year before we got married. Well, I knew better than that. And so we, I said, well, why don't you come down and, and stay with some missionaries and we'll, we'll talk about this. And so we started making plans for her to come down. Uh, this would have been uh, just before, this was in November of 1982. I said 80, or 82, 1982. And, um, and I was all excited about her coming, but there was this one small problem. Uh, there was another young lady already planning to come visit me in Venezuela. See, this is the part where I didn't want you to think badly about me. So I had to call that lady. I called her and I said, hey, boy, um, you remember Carrie Williams? I said, yeah. I said, you remember Carrie and I dated in college? Yes, she remembered. I said, well, Carrie's coming uh, to see you. And I said, we need to work this thing out so that your visits don't overlap. I need you to come at one time. <laughs> no, I didn't do that. I'm just kidding. I didn't do that. You were thinking badly about me, weren't you? <laughs> I said, um, I'm in love with Carrie Williams. And um, I, I think we're going to get married. And um, obviously, she didn't come. Um, my, my, my whole point in telling that kind of silly story is that uh, there was a time for me to decide. I couldn't say, I'm going to marry Carrie, but you know, I'm also, <laughs> that wouldn't have worked. Did you ever have to make up your mind? Did you ever have to finally decide? Somebody, my deep hunch is that there's someone listening to me now who's been on the bubble, on the edge of the decision, on the fence, and it's time. It's time to answer the question. What will I do with this Jesus who is called the Christ? It's time to answer the question, who do you say that I am? And I invite you to that decision, not tomorrow, but right now. Some of us would say, when you ask us, who is Jesus, who do you say I am? We would say, Jesus is all the world to me. We're going to sing hymn number 612. This morning in the early service, uh, a wonderful couple came forward to be part of our church. Maybe somebody here will. To say, I'm a follower of Jesus and I sense in my spirit that God is leading me here to be a member of this church. You'd be more than welcome. More importantly, somebody's maybe ready to come off the fence. I'm going to be here. A couple of ministers are going to be here. And somebody may be ready to come off the fence and say, I'm, it's time for me to decide. It's time for me to make up my mind and I will... I will say that Jesus is Lord of my life. We'd love to talk with you about that. And just like Benjamin was baptized earlier, some of you may need to be baptized. We're waiting for you while we sing. Let's stand, please.